let me catch you up. This series has been great. We're ending this series today. If you have missed any of this series, let me just encourage you. Just an encouragement to jump onto SoundCloud. There's information uh, on how to, how to do that. Jump onto SoundCloud and get those messages from the previous four weeks of this series. You will be encouraged. And let me tell you why. We've been talking about things that God has written down. He had written before they ever happened. And it was one of his way. God, God is so creative. We, we expect God to be like us. Well, listen, he's not like us. He's amazingly creative. And if he's going, the creator, the, the most creative ever, if he's going to do something, it's probably going to be in a creative way, not a normal, boring way, right? And so one of the ways that he has presented himself and authenticated himself to the entire world is by telling us things that were going to happen, and then they happened. And we have been talking about that for four weeks. In fact, we gave you the odds of one man fulfilling just eight of the prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah, coming to this earth and dying on the cross. We talked about what were the odds if one man could fulfill just eight of those prophecies? And we said, here are the odds. I, I didn't. A man, Peter Stoner, who did the research, he said this. He said it would be like this. If you took the state of Texas and filled it two feet deep, that's about a foot, there's two feet deep, filled the state of Texas with two feet of silver dollars and took one single silver dollar, painted it red on both sides and took it and dropped it somewhere somewhere in the state of Texas and then somehow stirred up all of those coins and took one man who saw none of that happen, put a blindfold on him, send him out into the state to wander around as long as he wanted. He could go one mile. He could go 500 miles. He could go 25. It doesn't matter. Whatever he choose, chooses, he would stop at any point he would choose and he would put his hand down into the silver dollars, blindfolded without looking, pick one and pull it out and then take the blindfold off and it would be red. That's the odds of one man fulfilling just eight of the prophecies written about Jesus and Jesus fulfilled them all. There were hundreds. He fulfilled them all. And it's God saying as if he is saying, look, that's my thumbprint. See, that was me. That could not have happened by chance. It couldn't, it wasn't by accident. Someone didn't just come along. Jesus was not just a good man. He was a good man, but not just a good man. He was not just a prophet. He was a prophet, but not just a prophet. He was a great teacher, not just a teacher. He was more. He was here by God's design. Jesus is God. In fact, his plan was for Jesus to come, God himself to come to this earth, put on the flesh of man and live on this earth. And you know, he was here not to teach you how to live. That's not why he came. Although he, he did give us a pretty good example though, right? He came not to be a good teacher, although he was a good teacher, right? He came not to be a prophet, although he did say some things that were going to happen and they happened, right? He wasn't here just to be an example. That's not why he came really at all. He came to be your sacrifice and my sacrifice as he died on the cross. And it was God's plan. And here's the cool thing. God wrote about that and said, this is going to happen. And then it did. And it is impossible that that could have happened by chance. One man could not have fulfilled all of those things. It was God's plan and it was Jesus. Now, I say all of that to say, that's what we've been talking about the previous four weeks. But I say that to tell you this. If God could handle all of those things, he said, this will happen, and then it did. Then don't you think he's going to be able to handle the things that he said would happen in the future, and they have not yet happened, but they will? I say to that, yes, I believe that. And this morning, we're going to look very quickly, a ton of information in just a moment, not yet, a ton of information about just that. But before we do, I, I want to, to remind you about what we talked about last week. Last week, 
we looked at this picture that God gives us of Jesus, and God described him in this way as the groom. If you were here, maybe you remember that. Jesus being described as the groom. And who did he describe as the bride? Anybody remember that? It's you, the believers, the followers of Jesus. And the Bible would describe that as the church, not just Stuttgart Harvest Church. It's the church. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus is part of God's church like that. So he's, that's who Jesus has picked for a bride. That's how the Bible has given us this picture. And we talked about how Jesus is coming back for his bride. And that's that period of time that we are waiting for right now. Jesus coming back for his bride. You, the followers of Jesus, his church, he's coming back for you. And as a groom in that time period when Jesus was here on earth, as, as the groom would come for his bride, do you remember as we talked about last week how the groom would approach the bride when he was coming back for her? First he would say, hey, listen, I, I'm going to go build this room for you, this house for you, and then I'm going to come and get you so you can be with me where I am. That's what the groom would say to his bride. He would go to his father's house and build that. And that's what Jesus said to you, the followers of Jesus, his bride. He said that to you, right? He said, hey, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And, and don't be afraid. I'm going to come back and get you for sure, for real. If I weren't going to come and get you, he said, I, I wouldn't have told you that I have a place that I'm preparing for you. Doesn't that sound just like the groom? Why does it sound like the groom? Because Jesus is the groom. And he said, I'm coming back for you. But when he comes back for the bride, do you remember how he comes back? Do you remember he doesn't want to, he wants to surprise the bride. She doesn't know when he's coming. She just knows he is. And when the groom is coming back, he does something right before he gets to the bride's house. You remember what he does? He shouts, yeah, he shouts, and then there's a trumpet, and they blow the trumpet, and it's like them saying, hey, we're here, come on out, we're here, let's go get married, woo! That's what the groom does. I don't know about the woo, but I can just imagine, surely there's a woo involved. And so Jesus is the groom, and do you realize that God gave us this picture on purpose to describe how this was going to happen? And Jesus, as the groom, does the very same thing. The Bible tells us he's going to come with a what? A shout. And with a what? A trumpet. And we can only assume a woo. So, Jesus is coming back for you. If you're a believer, if you're a follower. And Jesus, after he comes back to get you, he had some things... He has some things to say to describe this. The point after he gets you and takes you, uh, last week we talked about when the groom in the, uh, in the New Testament times, when a Jewish groom would take his bride to the bridal chamber, that place where he had prepared for her at the father's house. How long were they in the bridal's chamber? Do you remember? Seven days. Yeah. Oh, y'all are so, y'all are brilliant. Seven days. And when Jesus comes back for you, it's going to be seven as well. But this is going to be seven years. Okay, let me, just, let me read this to you. It's going to be on the screen. And then in just a moment, we'll jump to your notes. But right now, I just want to read this to you. I'm going to do my best to not stop too many times. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. I want to read several verses. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out the various temple buildings. So they're just walking and talking and... That's what they're doing. Verse 2. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. Now, Jesus is prophesying here, and it's the same prophecy that was in Daniel. So he's kind of repeating a prophecy. I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on the other. And we talked about that two weeks ago. I just mentioned it here. He said it there again in this spot. And this actually happened. It was written down. It actually happened A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was completely destroyed. And the temple that was destroyed, 
is still destroyed to this day. What Jesus was talking about, it happened. Verse 3, later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. Wish we could talk about that a little bit. We can't. Amazing things happened there. His disciples came to him privately. So this is a little private time they had together. And they said this, tell us, when is all this going to happen? They want to know. Hey, Jesus, tell us. We want to know. We want to be ready. Tell us. What sign will be the signal, will signal your return and the end of the world? And here's what Jesus said. Verse four, don't let anyone mislead you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. Okay. He's giving us some hints here. These things are going to happen before I come back. Verse six, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Now this is an important thing. Jesus is saying, listen guys, you're believers, you're followers. Listen, don't panic. Don't panic. He's saying that to you too this morning. Of everything we're going to talk about, it's not to make you panic. Don't panic. He's saying, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to prepare you. Don't panic. The, yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. In other words, things are going to get bad, but it's not over yet. He said, that's not yet the end. Verse 7. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes, many parts of the world. He said this is happening all over. Verse 8, but, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains, more to come. He's saying this first three, basically I can, in other parts of the scripture, we pull this together to understand this first three and a half years, it's going to be bad, but not nearly what's coming in the last three and a half. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Verse 9. Then you're, you're going to be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Verse 10. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Verse 11. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many, many people. Verse 12. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 14. And the good news about the kingdom. Here, listen to this. We're coming back to this. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the world so that all the nations will hear it. And then the end will come. He's saying it's not going to come yet. And in fact, everything that we're aware of that needs to happen before Jesus comes back for his church, for his bride... Everything's happened. This is the one thing we seem to be waiting on, that right there, that verse, for the gospel to move to all the nations. It doesn't mean all the nations will believe by no means. It just means the gospel will get there. They will hear about it. Verse 15. So then the day will come. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. Now here comes this second half, this in the last three and a half years of that seven-year time period. Um, all the sacrilegious, uh, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. He says, read or read or pay attention here. The writer says, verse 16, then those in Judea, he said, here's what you got to do when this happens to those in Judea. If you're in J Jerusalem area, you have to flee to the hills, a person out on the deck or the roof that they must not go down in the house and get their backpack. Just go, just get out of there. He says, a person in the field must not return to even get your coat. Don't get your cell phone. Don't get your tablet. Don't get your Xbox. Don't get anything. Just go. He says, how terrible it will be for the pregnant woman and for the nursing mothers in those days. It's not that he's isolating them and saying it's going to be bad for them. It's just going to be saying, can you imagine trying to escape and flee and get away and you're trying to gather your children too and get them to safety? He says, how terrible it's going to be. And he said, and pray that your flight's not going to be in, in the winter or on the Sabbath because he's talking about Jewish people here. That, 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 that doesn't like strike fear into you. But for them, if they were having to flee on the Sabbath, you know what that means? They're breaking the Sabbath. They're breaking these laws that they have been, been following their lives. He's saying how terrible it's going to be for them to feel that, to have to leave and do that during the Sabbath. It doesn't sound bad to us, but to them, they're saying, oh, that is bad. And then he says in verse 21, 
He's describing this last three and a half years. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And he said, and it's been, the world has seen some bad stuff, right? The Holocaust, genocide, even in modern day times, genocide, entire generations of people being wiped out because they don't like their bloodline. We have seen terrible, terrible things. And Jesus is saying, you haven't seen anything on the scale of what's coming. Wow. And he said, and it will, it's going to be worse than the world has ever seen. And he said, and it will never be so great again. And then verse 22, in fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened. And Jesus kind of describes this as the great time of calamity, the great tribulation time, unless that is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. That's what Jesus says. Now, now let's pause for just a moment. And before your anxiety gets out of control and your fear gets out of control, let me remind you that the groom, Jesus, has a bride. It's the followers of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of his church, the bride of Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for you. We call that We've given it a word. We call it the rapture. In the New Testament, you know what it's really called? The great snatch up. <laughs> if you were to translate it literally, it's just Jesus coming to snatch you up. And that's what it is. I mean, that's what, and we've described it with the word rapture, but that's what happens when Jesus comes for you. And you know what the Bible describes? The first thing that's going to happen, those who have already died, that were followers of Jesus from the beginning of time, those who were followers he takes them first. I mean, their, their, their soul is already with Jesus in heaven, and he snatches up their bodies. Very cool. Jesus, the body snatcher. And he grabs them, takes them up, and in his way, giving them glorified bodies, bodies we can't understand, bodies like his, the Bible says, and they re reunite with their souls. But guess what? He doesn't just leave it there. He comes and gets you too followers of Jesus who are still alive. You who are alive, he comes and he takes you and y'all all meet up in the sky and then you're headed with him. He's the groom, right? Coming to get his bride. Where is he taking you? The bridal chamber. What is that? That place that he says, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's it. That's it. And I think in essence, he's saying, don't panic. You're going to be with me. Oh, it's going to get bad, but don't panic. You're a believer in me. You're following me. You're going to be with me. Don't panic. We're going to celebrate that in song right now. All right. So we're going to be turning on these overhead lights. They just came on. And the reason is because if you're taking notes, you're going to have to be able to see if you're using your phone. It'll be a little bit easier. But you're going to want the piece of paper before you leave today. And here's why. Because on the piece of paper, I have written down the copious uh, verses that we're going to be using to draw all of this information from today. So those are listed there. We don't have the verses written out. You'll have to look them up, but we have the references all on that piece of paper. You're going to need that piece of paper. So you don't have to use the piece of paper today, but you're going to want that because everything I say comes from that today. So this time that Jesus described, this seven years of time when the bride of Christ is with Jesus in the bridal chamber awaiting that marriage supper, right? While that's happening here on earth, things are going bad. And we're going to very quickly just give you a shotgun list of 26 things that we're going to talk about. There's more, but that's all we have time to just cram in here today. Lots of filling in the blanks. But we want to divide this into two sections, the first three and a half years and then the second three and a half years of this seven-year period. So here's what's going to be happening. There's this person called, the Bible refers to as the Antichrist. And this person, a real person who's going to be born, they're going to be living are they alive today? Have no idea. Are they around yet? I don't know. Who, do I know who they are? No, I have no idea. We don't, we don't know. We're not told. 
and we're not going to be here to really see all that happen. Uh, but I'm describing this. This is what's going to be happening when we're with Jesus in this place that he's preparing for us, the bridal chamber. Now, so this Antichrist is going to be around, and it's going to be a constant move toward the Antichrist coming into power, into control politically first. And so the blank number one says this, the Antichrist will use diplomacy and deception to gain power. He's going to be a great politician, a, an amazing politician. Number two tells us this, that he's going to rise to power through a 10-nation confederacy. That's what the Bible describes. And in fact, in Daniel, it tells us how the Antichrist is going to rise out of what is the ancient Roman Empire. We don't know that it's going to be that nation. It's certainly going to come from that area, from that uh, ancient Roman area. And these 10 nations, that was uh, the ancient Roman Empire was huge, enormous, Ten nations from that area are going to come together, and he's going to rise to power through that confederacy, that union of these ten nations. And they're going to be all from Europe, and it's going to be this uh, ten-nation union, confederacy, whatever you want to call it. But the, the Antichrist will come to power, will develop his power through that 10 nations. Number three says this, he's going to form an unholy alliance with the worldwide religions. Uh, you see, the Bible tells us when Jesus comes to take you, his believers, his followers to be with him, the Holy Spirit at that time, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, describes, resides in you. When Jesus left this earth, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit moves into the lives of believers. And as Jesus comes back and takes those believers, the Holy Spirit's going with them. And the Holy Spirit will not be, God will not be present or have a presence right now on this earth when during this when that happens right there. And so you can imagine there will still be religious people. There's a lot of people who are religious who are not really followers of Jesus. There will be a lot of spiritual things happening, a lot of religious things happening, but God will have no part of it. He's not going to be involved in it. He's gone. So you can imagine there's this great void and this one worldwide religion will begin to take off. People will be drawn to it. And this Antichrist is going to kind of join forces. He's going to have him as he's rising to power through this 10 nation confederacy. They're going to kind of hook up with this worldwide religion. It's going to be good for both of them. It'll be good for the Antichrist to gain his popularity throughout the world, not just that union. It'll be good for the worldwide religion because they see how powerfully political this man is. It's going to be good for both of them. Number four. He's also going to form an alliance with Israel. Now, everybody in the world, most, most of the world, not everybody, but most of the world hates Israel. And he, this Antichrist is going to come along. He's going to actually form an alliance with Israel, along with all the many, many, many other countries that he is forming alliances with. Israel is going to be one of them, and he's going to be so busy. The Antichrist, during this first three and a half years, he's going to be tremendously busy building his political machine, his political steam, first through this 10-nation confederacy, and then as he's bringing in more and more other nations. He's going to actually help create peace in the Middle East, something that has never been present since Abraham started his family. There has not been peace in the Middle East, but this guy is going to be able to achieve peace for a time in the Middle East. It's going to be phenomenal. But then, one, now he doesn't have the influence of all the nations. The Antichrist didn't. And there's one major area of the country, uh, of the world, I mean, that begins to unite together. And they're not following the Antichrist. And they're like, we don't have to listen to you. I mean, you're not our boss. I mean, we're going to rule ourselves, govern ourselves. We don't need you. And it's this area. We don't know that it's this specific country, but it's in this area. It could be this country. And it's Russia. Number five, the great armies of this Russian alliance are going to attack 
Israel. They're going to gather up together and they're going to say, listen, we don't have to pay attention to the Antichrist. We don't like Israel. You may have a treaty with them. We don't. And they form this, um, this giant army and they surround and begin to move in to attack Israel. And it's looking like Israel is going down, going to be squashed. Israel is a tiny little country. Why the world hates Israel? Well, because it's the center place of how God is telling his story to save the entire world. And they want to see it crushed. So the great armies of Israel are moving into place. The great armies of Russia are moving into place to attack Israel. And number six says the alliance and the allies, we can't tell you and won't tell you that these are the countries that are going to attack. We don't know. All we have is ancient names of countries. But what we do know through history is where these countries were situated on the globe. So we're going to tell you the areas where this is drawn from. We don't know the specific countries that it's going to be. We don't have the names, but we have the areas based upon geography of the ancient names of countries we were given. So here are some of the ancient, uh, here are some of the modern day countries that are in this area. We don't, we're not saying these are the ones who are going to attack because we're not given that name in a modern day name, but here are the geographic areas. It's the areas of Iran, the areas of Iraq, most not all, but most of the Arab states move over to Sudan and the African area, Ethiopia, Libya, Eastern European areas, the Armenians and the Turkeys, <laughs> Turkish people, not the Turkeys. I mean, that's not very nice, is it? I didn't really say that, did I? I did, but they're not Turkeys, the Turkish people. <laughs> So anyway, um, but though that geographic area, those are the areas that are going to come together with, with the area of the Russian area, and they're going to move in to attack Israel. They're going to say, Antichrist, hey, listen, whatever his name is, you don't, you're not my boss. You don't own me. And so they go in and they attack Israel. And this, uh, it's, this Russian alliance is going to be huge, and it's going to look hopeless. I mean, it's going to be major weaponry that's going to look hopeless for little bitty Israel. But what they're going to find is they're going to actually encounter God himself. Number seven says this, that God steps in and fights for Israel. God himself is going to intervene in these all of this these nations coming against Israel. And the Bible describes it in Ezekiel 39. It's going to be horrible. He steps in to protect Israel because this is part of his story. He steps in to protect them. And the Bible describes in Ezekiel that 85% of the army is going to be destroyed as God steps in. They're going to actually die before they ever get into Israel. It's going to be raining fire. It's going to take, the Bible describes, seven months just to bury all of the bodies from these armies, that 85% who are destroyed. Wow. God is making a tremendous display, saying you can do what you want, but you're not going to mess with this. Wow, pretty amazing. Number eight says this. After this time, sometime in, in, in and around this time, number eight, God is going to send two mighty spokesmen. Some people call them prophets. That would be applicable as well. Two mighty spokesmen. And their job is, is simple. Their job is to lead people toward Jesus and ultimate salvation. He's, it's, it's to lead them toward Jesus and, and, and so that they become followers of Jesus. So here's what that means. It, it, all of the believers at the time of the rapture, when Jesus comes, all the believers are gone. They're with Jesus. But what it says is some of the people who are left still have an opportunity to follow Jesus. They're just going to have horrible environments in which to do that. It's going to be devastating. But these two prophets come for one reason, to really 
point people towards Jesus. And that's what happens. And number nine, it says they have great power. The Bible describes the power that these two men are going to have. And listen, this is going to be worldwide news. I mean, it's going to be all over CNN. It's going to be all over whatever, what other news is out there. Fox. Yeah, it's, it's all, it's going to be covered worldwide. It's going to, these guys are going to be so powerful. They're going to have coverage, lots of coverage. The Bible describes they're going to be able to, to uh, have fire from their mouths to destroy attackers. That's going to be some coverage there. And they're going to be able to call down famine and to, to halt the rain. So that's going to be power. They're going to be able to do things like visually like turn blood, I mean turn water into blood. Uh, the Bible says they're going to be able to strike the earth with plagues. These guys are going to be powerful. Now, we don't know who they are. There's been lots of speculation. Oh, it could be this person, could be this person. We don't know who they are. But, but I will tell you this, just joining into the speculation, the Bible doesn't say who they are, but we do know in the Bible, the person who was given the temporary ability at that time to turn water into blood and do call down plagues upon people on the earth at that time, you remember the story from the Exodus and the Israelites and Pharaoh and who? Moses? Could be Moses. We have no idea, but it could be. He could be one of them. And the other one, possibly, we don't know this, but possibly the, the prophet who was given the uh, power to, to stop the rain and to call famine upon the earth, that, there was a prophet who did just that, and his name was Elijah. And we know Elijah plays lots of parts in in the story of God, and so did Moses. It's possible they could be here doing that, but we don't know who it is. We just know there are two, and they are very, very powerful. And their job is to point people to Jesus. So at the time they begin, no Christ followers. They've already all been gone with Jesus. And then as this goes, there are some who are beginning to turn to Jesus. Many, not most by any means, but many people. And in fact, Specifically, they're pointing a lot of Jewish people back to Jesus. A lot of Jews are beginning to follow Jesus now. They're saying, oh, I see. I, I do believe. Took, took me some time to get there, but I, I believe. I see it. It was written and it happened. I, I mean, and so, do you know, God then, blank number 10, God is going to send out 144,000 Jewish commandos for Jesus. I mean, 144,000 he's going to take from those who are becoming believers that are Jewish. He will select 144,000 and send them out as missionaries throughout the world. Because some people are still going to come to Christ. Revelation chapter 7 kind of describes this. There's going to be a great revival kind of during this tribulation. That's the first half, really basically the first three and a half years of that seven years. Now the second half, I mean, that's when it gets really bad. That's when Jesus described it as so terrible that if, if it did not let up, then everyone would die. So let's look at this second half. And really the second half, that's what's really called the great tribulation. It's this three and a half years that ends this seven-year time period. Blank number 11, empowered by the evil one, that's Satan himself, empowered by Satan, the Antichrist is going to work viciously to take over the world. So now he steps it up into high gear He's going to astound the world because something amazing is going to happen. He's going to get some kind of head injury, the Antichrist, and he's going to die. And some power is going to bring him back to life. Now, isn't it amazing how it reflects and is just kind of a mirror, just a slight mirror image of what happened to Jesus as, as he died and was brought back to life. And that's kind of the design to wow the world. Those who are here to wow them, they see him die and they see the Antichrist brought back to life. So number 12 is he's resurrected from a fatal head injury and it's to display this power that he has. Number 13, and with this power, this influence he's gaining, number 13, he kills 
God's prophets. Those two spokesmen, he kills them. And the Bible describes how their bodies are going to be laying in the street. And it's going to be covered by, I mean, the whole world is going to see it. In fact, they're going to stop everything they're doing. And the world is going to party and celebrate the fact that those two spokesmen for God are dead. And it's so crazy. I don't have it here in your notes. But during that celebration that lasts for days, during that celebration, and you know it's going to be covered. I mean, because we see the news coverage on all the ISIS stuff today. Can you imagine how this is going to be covered? This live, almost Independence Day for the world because these two guys are dead. And while that's being covered and seen by the world, those two guys come back to life. I don't have it in your notes, but it's crazy. You've got to read about it. It's in the Word. It's amazing. Number 13, he kills those prophets. Number 14, he then moves, the Antichrist moves to, uh, he destroys the worldwide religion. So he makes a big move to separate. The worldwide religion begins to try to take over the Antichrist and push him out and to gain their own personal power. Antichrist kind of squashes that. He destroys the worldwide religion because Antichrist's goal is for the world to worship himself. Um, and at this time, while all this is going on, just keep in mind that the temple for Israel has been rebuilt um, because when it was destroyed in 70 AD, it's still destroyed today. But at some point during all this, it is rebuilt and functioning again as a temple and the Antichrist now, after he destroys the worldwide religion, now, number 15, he now breaks his treaty with Israel and he sets himself up as God. And there he will remain until Jesus comes and takes care of business. He sets himself up in the temple to be worshipped as God. And for a brief moment in time, the Antichrist has achieved what he desired to achieve, to be worshipped by the world. That's what he wanted. Now, it's going to be a difficult task to get several billion people on this planet to worship the Antichrist. So he goes about it with some help. Number 16 says he's assisted by the false prophet, some kind of guy that comes along to help. He does some crazy, miraculous things too to kind of gain, you know, spread the word and say, hey, hey, follow us. Number 17, the prof false prophet is going to work a plan to grasp the world's worship. And part of that plan, they have some kind of idol that's going to be erected in, in Jerusalem. And it's somehow it's going to speak and talk. We don't know what that's going to be, but that's what we're told in the, the prediction. And anyone not worshiping that idol is going to be killed. And number 18 says the false prophet is going to work some kind of economic plan to bring the entire world to its knees. And we can understand how that's not going to be so hard to do because all the major economies in the world and the governments in the world are all severely in debt. It's not going to be that hard once it begins happening to bring the world economy all to one point and, and, and the Antichrist is going to be in control of it. In fact, we're just, it's described how some using some kind of current technology um, it's going to all be controlled from one single place and every single person is going to be mandated either on his hand or his forehead to take some kind of mark. And if you don't have that mark, you cannot do anything that involves what you would normally do to, to pay for things. Um, you can't do any banking. You can't get a check from your employer. You can't have money out of the bank. You can't go get medical care at the hospital or at a doctor's office. You can't get food unless you have somehow found a way to put it in the ground. You can't do it. You, you have, they have control of everything. And if you don't have that mark, you're in big trouble. People without the mark, some of them are going to be murdered. Some of them are going to die from starvation. Some of them are going to die from lack of medical care without that mark. And again, 
If you're a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus, you won't be here for that. Number 19, while all this is going on, number 19, the second coming of Christ is going to occur after devastating judgments. Let me very quickly just give you a shotgun list of some of these things that are going to be going on around the earth. The Bible describes a lot of these described in Revelation, wars and famines and inflation out of control, horrible and incurable plagues. And the Bible describes many, many earthquakes. Um, And the Bible says, because of those things that I just mentioned, uh, at, at least half of the world's population, because of those things, is going to die from those things, from famine and uh, from wars and plagues and earthquakes. It's going to be a killing field. Um, they're going to kill those who are beginning to follow Christ. A lot of those people are going to be killed during this process. The Bible describes meteors crashing into the earth, mountains crumbling, uh, wild stinging locusts. It just goes on and on with descriptions. Let me give you three that I want you to write down. Number 20, every person who has the mark of the beast is going to be given painful sores. Number 21, the ocean will be turned to blood and everything in it is going to die. Number 22, the rivers and all the sources of water are turned into blood. Number 23, the sun, the Bible describes in Revelation 18, it's going to intensify with such heat, it's going to scorch, burn, uh, sunburn, scorch all the people here on the earth. And all of this is happening in preparation to set the world for this final scene, this final battle that's going to take place. So the Antichrist has amassed an enormous amount of support. And with that comes many, many, many armies. But not all the armies and not all the parts of the world are following the Antichrist. And they're beginning, those who are not following are beginning to get a little upset. They're like, why can't you make this stuff go away? If you're so powerful, why is all this junk happening? And they began to amass their own army. And they began to assemble on this battleground called, you may have heard it, called Armageddon, an area of the country outside of Jerusalem. And there, all of these armies who are upset with the Antichrist, the Antichrist gathers his armies, and there, this enormous battle is going to take place. The people who are upset with the Antichrist, and the Antichrist who's going to crush them for not following him, and it's going to be bad. In fact, the Bible describes that the blood will flow during this battle so much it will be up to the horse's bridle. It's going to be a bloody, bloody mess. And during this battle, one third of the earth's population will be slaughtered. And during this battle, there will be an earthquake so severe, listen to this, that it will destroy every man-made structure that is on the earth. You know something's going down. It's going to be big. And then, then, at this point, number 24, Jesus will return during the battle of Armageddon. That's when he's going to come back. And the Bible describes that he's going to be coming back with the armies of heaven. And the Bible describes that, the armies of heaven being made up of angels and being made up of Christ followers. And let me just mention, Christ followers who go to heaven are not angels. You're coming back as a Christ follower. There are two different things, but the armies of heaven, angels and Christ followers are coming back with him. The first time Jesus comes back, with the groom's coming back to get his bride, the first time he's come back, he's coming back for you. The second time he comes back, if you're a follower of his, you're with him, he's coming back with you. That's the second coming of Christ. Number 25, and Jesus is going to appear and Jesus is going to finish the battle. Here's what happens. As Jesus comes back, suddenly all of the armies who were fighting the Antichrist and all the armies that were fighting those armies, they at this point, as Jesus comes back, then they all turn together and now the entire world's armies are all fighting now together. They're fighting Jesus. And Jesus 
finishes the battle. The Bible describes that every single enemy soldier dies. The Bible describes that the Antichrist at the end of this and the false prophet are captured easily and they're thrown into, as the Bible describes, the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And we are told that it is at that point that Jesus Christ sets up his reign here on earth and our eternity with Jesus, all believers and all those who became believers during this time are now with him for eternity. That's how the Bible describes it. And here's what I believe of all of that. Here's what I believe. I believe God gave us things written down in the Bible that actually happened. And it's him saying, see, that's my thumbprint. This is real. This is me. I did that so that you would believe. And then he's saying to us now, the things that have not yet happened, see, you're going to see my thumbprint. I'm telling you, and then it's going to happen. It was written before it happened. And then in the New Testament, it happened. And now he has other things that are written and they're waiting to happen. And according to God's plan and God's timing, it is going to happen. And my question as we end today, as we end right now, is simply this. Number 26 on the listening guide. Are you ready? Are you ready? You see, one of two things is going to happen for every single one of us in this room and in this world today. One of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to die and you're going to face your eternity. That eternity is going to be with God or separated from God. Your choice. But every single one of us is going to either die and face our eternity or we are going to be alive when Jesus comes back for his bride. And he's either taking you or not. And we don't say this to scare you. In fact, I'm doing my best to not make this an emotional day. We're just simply telling you that it was written before it happened. And it's going to happen. So our question is just very calmly, are you ready? Let me tell you how you get ready. Just in case your heart says, no, Harley, I don't think I'm ready. There's so many places that describe this. I just selected one. Acts chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. In other words, it was written before it happened. And then it happened. That's what they're saying. It was told, God told you this is how he's going to save the world. And then it happened. Jesus came and he died, just like he said. And so he said, now here's what you do about it. Here's how you get ready for everything else that's coming. Here's how you get ready. Verse 19, he said, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. He said, repent. What does repentance mean? Repentance means, uh, here's what it means. I have been following my way, my decisions, my life, my way. And I may have been following other people, but it's been my choice, my way. And to repent means I change directions. I was following my way, my decisions, my thing, but I realized that's not the way. I've got to follow Jesus. And so I began following Jesus. And why can we follow Jesus? Because Jesus died on the cross for you and for me so that our sins could be wiped away. That's why. So we ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus really did die on the cross for you? If the answer is yes, do you really believe also that he walked out of that tomb three days later? Just as it was written? I believe it. If you believe that, then here's what I'm asking. That means then something has happened. There's a transaction that's been made because Jesus, when he died on the cross, his blood shed for you and me was a payment. And that payment purchased something. And here's what the Bible says. It purchased your life. 
And so you have been living your life, your way, your decisions, the way you want to do it. It's all been you. But when you repent, you say, you know what? Jesus purchased me, which means I belong to him and I submit my life. I give my life. You bought it, Jesus. It's yours. I give it to you. So I turn from me and I turn to you. Have you done that? If you have not done that this morning, you may be saying in your heart right now, you may be saying, Harley, that's where I am. I want to do it. I mean, I've, I've been coming. I've been checking this out. And I've been hearing you talk about this. But I think maybe today is the day. And I'm doing my best. Again, this is not something I'm trying to make emotional. I'm just trying to give you the information. And today you may be saying, yeah, Jesus did purchase my life. And I want to give it to him. I want to follow him. That's how you get ready. Now, some of you this morning may be saying that in your heart right now. If you're saying, I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he walked out of that tomb three days later. And because of that, he purchased my life. And so I'm giving it to him. He can have it. It's his. I'm following him. I belong to him now. And if you're saying that, then sometime before you leave this morning, before you, that, that giving bucket comes down the row where we put our connection cards and our pens and all of that, make sure you mark on the back of that. Just let me know, hey, today I'm following Jesus for the first time. There's a place for you to mark it on the back. And now I say this before we sing these three songs. I, I want to say this. To those who are following Jesus right now, you're already followers. My question is the same question I had last week. How are you waiting for Jesus to return? Have you allowed your heart to be captured by someone else or something else? And have you begun following something else? I just ask, how are you waiting? And as you answer that question between you and God, then my question is this, so what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? This morning, I hope, I hope you're ready. And I hope you're waiting. I hope you're expecting his return. Let's pray. God, you told us that when we repent and we turn from ourselves and we turn from to you, God, you told us there will be times of refreshment that come with the presence of the Lord. And then you told us that, that God, you would be sending Jesus again at your appointed time. You would send the Messiah again. And God, we are here waiting. And God, may we have conversations with you this week about being ready and about waiting. We're so thankful that Jesus died for us and we do not have to fear our future. Because God, you hold it. If we've given our lives to you you hold our lives in your hand and you will not let go. And we're grateful in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we do pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.